Welcome to the Startup Business Q&A podcast with Richard Moore. And 92, good to see you here. Uh, everyone who's watching, uh, thank you very much for joining us this week. I hope you're all doing all right. Uh, for many, it's been one to two weeks now of working at home, working remotely. And uh, it's great to see uh, so many people actually starting to have a sense of, you know what, this is how it is now and um, I need to jump on it and, and make this my thing. So um, <clears throat> those of you who haven't seen it so far, what's crucial to understand about this particular one is that we've had a, a number of weeks recently uh, doing um, these live sessions on a Monday about working from home, selling remotely and doing business remotely. However, this one, I wanted to kind of come at it from the other angle. So talk specifically about the myths and the issues people are coming up with as well. So this is a week 192. And what's really interesting is across the probably almost four years it will be uh, that we've been doing these live streams every week. There's a lot of interesting um, topics that have been quite um, uh, relevant to what's going on in the world at the time. Um, and right now, it's really interesting to cover this area of online selling because a lot of people are saying, do you know what, now's the time where maybe I could do something or make the most of uh, the situation I'm in. And um, I, I suppose because I position myself as someone who helps with sales specifically, it's definitely the case that a lot of people are, are concerned that they may be doing things um, less efficiently or they're worried about pitfalls. Um, and uh, potentially people um, taking advantage and things like that. So I'm really pleased that we're looking at selling, um, but in this particular guise and specifically in terms of myth busting, because I feel it's a really important uh, space to operate in. So um, if you're watching right now live, make sure you put in the comments, hashtag team live, you're part of team live, and uh, also add where you're watching from. So what city are you in? Uh, and uh, if you're watching later on, then put in uh, hashtag team replay, a part of team replay, and uh, where you're watching as well. So shout out for those listening on the podcast. You're unable to write that, but never mind. Um, and uh, thanks also to those watching on IGTV as well. So uh, what I'd like to do today is invite you, if you have any questions at all, to jump in and uh, ask those on the topic of myth busting uh, when selling online. I'm just gonna finish up my housekeeping here and um, sort this out. So we're streaming right now on Instagram. We're also streaming on uh, LinkedIn and on Facebook as well. And uh, let's see who's jumping on. So on Facebook, Mia Butler, Team Life from Northampton. Awesome. My first university was Northampton to have uh, Fond memories, those that I remember of it. That was um, 21 years ago. Wow. Helen uh, Renovic, good to see you here. Team Live from Stockholm. Uh, Caroline Mankowski, uh, as usual, you like here like clockwork is amazing. Uh, Delray Beach, Florida. Uh, also, Julie Parry Jones, let us know where you're watching from. Wendy Gulhilla, as well, watching live. Thank you very much for joining in. And Hadia Nassim, as well. Over on Facebook, we've got Ginny Lamarie. Heimrich Richard Lake to the start a party, Team Live from Hertfordshire. A lot of UK rep in today. I'm pleased with that. Well done. Usually it's very rarely. And you guys getting up early in the US instead. Diana Nyan from uh, Melbourne. Lewis Clack, also UK. Christina Chalk watching on Instagram. Could see you here. APS Punjabi is watching. Rahul Singh12556 is watching. Workplay Branding. Nice to see you here. Robert Majiko. Ion4283, Mr. Business Life. Hey Jess underscore end bullying now says hey Richard good to see you here thank you very much for watching on Instagram too so if you have a question about myth busting on online selling or online work then do add it in here in the comments also put in the comments how you're doing let me know how it's how you're getting along with working from home I hope everyone's getting the hang of it um, I'm really being impressed I checked in this morning and back in the last week with the clients I have and and actually, there's been a lot of putting out of fires, but now people are like, do you know what? This is all right. This is what we have to do. And we've got the tools. Luckily, it's 2020 and not, you know, 1920. We can actually do this. Uh, and people are really making a go of it. And um, it's now down to people, especially their clients, understanding that, do you know what? If this is the world we're working in, what is, what is the new... Uh, what does the new solution look like to us? So it's very interesting, full of opportunities. Um, 
Uh, it's interesting that, uh, I was going to say, it's interesting that normally I would announce the latest Entrepreneur Business Live event or what's going with that. However, of course, Entrepreneur Business Live right now isn't happening. We paused them all. However, I have an exciting announcement this week. It's not Entrepreneur Business Live, but it's something um, uh, I'm not allowed to say anything about it yet because the, the founder of it, the person running the event, uh, hasn't released it yet, but when they do, I will be sharing. So keep your eyes peeled for this, especially on Facebook. I'll be sharing it there. I am so pumped about doing this. Uh, so there'll be an announcement later this week. What I'm saying is keep your eyes peeled on that. Uh, in addition, if you haven't joined it, join me in the Entrepreneur Facebook group, sorry, Entrepreneur Business Group even, on Facebook. If you just simply search Entrepreneur Business Group, we've got over 4,000 people in there now, and it's becoming a really great place to look at helping each other in this particular time. Uh, one of the recent posts we had over the weekend was about helping each other by sharing what services you provide. And there were so many in there where people were like, here's what I do, here's what I do, here's what I do. And I can tell already people are like, that's really helpful. That's what I need right now. So awesome to see that. Michelle Raymond, good to see you here from London on Facebook. Also, Mark Borhoover, I think you're watching from Amsterdam, is it? Somewhere over there, Netherlands, I believe. Kim Boda on Instagram as well. Let's get into the questions. If you have any questions on this topic, then do put them in the comments. First up, Justin Nolan, <clears throat> who I caught up with last week in Ottawa. Uh, good to catch up with you, oh, I think it was on Thursday or Friday. He's written, awesome. <laughs> I think a question that I have is do courses, memberships, coaching, ebooks all have potential? I see a lot of gurus and some inverted commas gurus uh, who post a lot bragging about their income in all those categories, but hard to know where to start for people who have never sold online. All the best, thanks to you all. So there's two ways I can look at this. One is, are you asking, should I buy those things? And another one, and in fact, I think it is for you, is should I be offering those things? Let's start with the latter. Um, I think that the truth is you need to be thinking about where those things sit in your, in your sales ladder. So in terms of your offering, and my advice as someone who's sold online for many years now, is to have more than one proposition for a number of reasons. Firstly, not everything, not, not one position will, sorry, proposition will suit everyone. You want variations of the thing you do. So for example, I might just do uh, an hour, one-on-one -on -one sales coaching. That's literally something I do. You go to my website, you book yourself in, you get an hour and we do one-on-one. -on -one. We talked about, talk about how to close. Um, we maybe look at your strategy, look at your funnel, things like that. Uh, or then there's the retained coaching that people have where they, they book, they have me every single month. There's somewhere they have me visit on site and actually work with their business. There's a different levels of working with me. And at the other extreme, there's the courses. You know, you can buy my, well, last week it was for free, but you can buy my basics of LinkedIn or basics of sales course, uh, you know, and that's a very low price point uh, to help people along uh, with, with some level of consumption of, of my knowledge. Um, what you need to understand is by having different things like this, you can access and warm your audience at different levels. So, I'll speak on ebooks in a second, but let's just use that as an example. Ebooks, an example typically of, of a uh, low ticket, if not free, um, entry level thing you would offer to people. Um, the idea being that a mass of people check out your ebook. If they find it valuable or interesting, then they're curious enough to check out more of you, and then they maybe buy the next rung of the ladder, buy the next thing that maybe is a course or membership or whatever. And ultimately, some people funnel their way through and then end up, you get a few of them turning into bigger clients with a back end product. But um, the truth is, with ebooks, you've got to ask yourself in real life. Do people actually read ebooks anymore, really? So, I mean, I'm, I'm the opinion that, I'm, I mean, I'm sure some people do all right with them, but like, when's the last time you actually sat down and read an ebook? I, I think maybe one way of doing it is like a cheat sheet, like a top 10 list of things to do or something like that. And I've seen really a really good one. There's a guy who's pretty much the top guy for Facebook ads in the world called Nick Kuzmich. Um, and he, he, instead of an e-book, he gave like, it was a singular slide with the 10 things to look out for on a Facebook ad. And it was an amazing piece of content uh, and really valuable. And, and it, you know, that's used to get clicks or that's used to um, create opt-ins or drive uh, email addresses into his, into his email list. And that's a good use of something like that. To try and run a business that sells eBooks and you make your living off it is quite a hard job to do. Same with courses as well. 
I've seen this with most people, unless you have a very high-end course where you'd have a, a low number of people doing it, maybe something of a monthly mastermind, courses, the, the idea of an automated process where someone buys your course, uh, registers themselves, and engages and does your course without you physically being involved in real life in any way. They just simply go through, in my case, a video course. Um, you know, that's a lower ticket product. Mine's like $100 and that's it. Um, and again, you don't make a living off it. It pays a decent amount of money. But for me, like that funds things like Facebook ads or that funds, um, you know, some operations or something like that. But th that's just that they're organically ticking over and making some money here and there, but that's not the main centerpiece. That's to get a lot of people showing an interest in what I do, and maybe they may choose themselves to take that further. But if, looking at it, I would say there's no reason why you wouldn't do them all, but what's intelligent is certainly if you're starting out, Justin, is to, and this is the crucial takeaway for many of you, is don't do them all at once. Do one. It's taken me years to be in a point where I've had a number, where I've added a number of things to my ladder, if you like, and I didn't start on day one by just going, right, I'm going to build three courses, I'm going to do ebooks, do mentoring, do, court, do subscriptions. I didn't do all of that. I did one at a time and then I added the next thing, but I had the centerpiece being, being the, the main piece of work, my work, which is, which is the coaching. And when I got moments, I then added something to it. So I think there's nothing wrong with you doing it. I think it makes a lot of sense to have it. Courses, in my opinion, are a low rung of the sales ladder, low price, higher volume. I think the same probably for memberships into say a group or something like that, unless it's more of a mastermind group, if you wanna do that kind of thing, some people do and they charge, you know, whatever it is per month and they really sit with that person hand in hand and maybe there's five people they work with and really growth hack and make the difference in their business in a month. Um, coaching is, is typically a higher rung of the ladder, it's the one where it's lower volume and a higher amount of money you're asking. And eBooks like, really, are you even gonna bother? I mean, do people even listen to it? Far better than an ebook. One thing I did a while back was um, I, I, I split tested. I did an ebook, then I, then I had it, um, then I read it and did an audio book. And people were far more interested in listening instead. So I would maybe think about that. Uh, Zach Houston here on, on Instagram has asked, why didn't you do all three at the same time to evaluate which had higher returns? The reason why is A, time, uh, because, because I wasn't going to build three courses at once and integrate into the site. But, but B, they're completely different courses. It's very hard to evaluate uh, which one has higher returns. One's on selling, one's on monetizing a talent you have called monetize you, so how to sell online in general, uh, uh, a talent you've got and how to build that out uh, and get your first sales. And then the third one was on LinkedIn. And so kind of the, the, they're very different and they're aimed at slightly different t sets of people. Also, just different timing, you know, basics of sales, when I did ages ago, LinkedIn was one I did more recently because that process started more recently. So um, one could do three at the same time. Um, but I think people going all in on building courses need to do that when they've got enough money coming in from elsewhere because I think it is a myth, this is the first one of the day if you like, it's a myth that you can build a course and just overnight bang out loads of, of um, people buying it. Um, I have a friend, Dot Long, who's just released her Instagram course and she's got something like a thousand subscriptions. She's probably made a lot of money off that to start with. However, that's only because she's got a huge following and leveraged a lot of other influencers to promote the thing and so on. Um, but from a standing start, no one's gonna buy it because because people buy a course as a way of consuming more of you, okay? Um, and what that means is if they're into your content and then they need the thing you have to offer, then they're likely to buy the course. And, and unless you have traction with a big audience and, and you work on the basis that probably 1% will buy on a good day, then, then actually you need to, as in of all people who consume your content, then unless you have strong enough audience is, is probably not going to get you that far to start with. So bit by bit, add one, sure, but have your centerpiece not hoping, you know, strategy shouldn't be from day one, I'm going to build a course and hopefully that will make me all my money. Some do. Let's be clear, some make courses and they that's all they need to do and they make plenty of cash, but then that's because they're all in on it and that's the only thing they build. So for everyone, it's slightly different, but I think it's a great way to have high value, low price, uh, uh, way to bring masses of people in and, and get some real interest in what you have to do. I want to ask the, I'll talk about the other side because there's another thing here, a question in here that I don't know if you've re really asked Justin, which really is, um, should I be buying these things as well? Should I be buying them? 
should I buy courses? Should I buy memberships? Should I buy coaching? Should I buy eBooks? It's a very important question as well. I'm, I'm imposing this question if you like. I think you need to be wary here. You should do your due diligence because you're talking about gurus. And the truth is there are some legitimate people, I would like to hope I'm one of them, where they're a practitioner, they've had time on the pitch, and so they know what they're talking about when they produce a course, for example, because it's based on the experience of having done it for a while. But then it's very easy to simulate that. I mean, I could easily make a course on something I know nothing about, that about and promote it and position and, you know, uh, frame it as I'm the expert. So how do you navigate this? One thing first, I think job one is to ask yourself before you even buy these things, and this is probably one of the biggest takeaways about uh, if you invest in yourself with particular courses and things like that. The number one thing to ask yourself first and foremost is, am I buying this course or doing this learning or getting a coach? Am I doing it as a form of avoidance? Am I doing it as a form of positive procrastination? And what that really means is, Basically, instead of getting on with my work and taking action, because I probably deep down know actually what I need to do, am I taking yet another course because I think it might be a nice way of putting off the hard stuff? Because the, the, the truth is, if you buy a course for someone who appears to be, a, um, you know, someone who knows what they're doing, it's a great way of feeling like you're doing something relevant and yet wasting time because you're not actually doing anything in terms of any work. If you genuinely don't know how to do something and a course will help you with that, well then fine. But you should be asking yourself, do I need to know that thing now? It's very interesting going on courses about growth and scaling and building seven-figure businesses. But the truth is, if you've never sold a bean in your life, then you need to actually maybe look at the basics first. You might have a great product. You might have a decent audience. Go and speak to them and start selling them. Go and, you know, engage, get on the pitch first. And reading books, learning, courses, I'm all for it. I'm all for learning. But at the same time, many overdo it to the point of it impeding their uh, the, the, the time of their day or resources they put into actually taking action. If you learn all the time and never do, you get nowhere. So just watch, job one is ask yourself, am I avoiding work by doing this, by doing this next course or buying this next mentoring or coaching or something like that? The second thing is, of course, you should do your due diligence because you, the, the way to look at this is, am I being sold on their hype, on a marketer's hype, or am I being sold on something I actually need? Am I being sold on their hype, or am I being sold on something I actually need, okay? So this is why a lot of people buy stupid stuff, because they're being sold on hype. And they buy from certain people because the hype and the marketing is good, not necessarily because the results will be good, all right? So the due diligence should be around, like, asking yourself, really, am I being sold on hype, or the product itself. In addition, you should then do your due diligence. You know, is this someone who's got demonstrable evidence of returns? Has this person got results so far? You know, if I'm looking at buying a course from someone, well, is there anyone out there who's showing that they're actually actually buying it and using it, for instance? Don't trust someone who's taken a screen grab of them, of like uh, a $20,000 a day because it doesn't mean it was theirs and it doesn't mean that it happened recently. You can't trust that kind of thing. Look for testimonials, look for other people saying things along those kind of lines. My friend Dot Long, who I mentioned a moment ago, is on Instagram watching right now. You're a good example there, Dot. If you've got people advocating for you, people talking about how they've experienced your work and they've got results from it, well then that's where you know it gets a bit more legitimate. Of course you could argue that some people have yeah, placed people out there to, to, to pretend that their stuff's good. But in the main, you've got, you're going to have the truth that if you've got people see, giving decent testimonials and you can see evidence of results and it makes sense. And for a lot of courses, what you're looking at is something, especially online courses, you're looking at something where you can actually see evidence. So, you know, my LinkedIn course that was free last week is still available, by the way. It's only a little bit of cash, but it's still, it's still available. Um, that course is about getting meaningful engagement and people coming to you. 
It's about people showing up every day. And if you don't buy, if, you don't, if you're not like, ah, oh, I don't know who this Richard guy is, the easy thing to check is just go to the profile, check, check the comment, the, sorry, check the posts, and every day there's engagement, so it must be, must be legit then. Whereas when you get a course or mentoring from someone who suggests that they can help with that kind of thing, and they haven't got engagement, well then the evidence isn't there. So you, it's worth doing your due diligence, but always ask, am I being sold on the hype, or am I being sold on the actual product itself? That's crucial. But also, that number one thing before buying anything ever to help with selling or working online or whatever is, am I buying this? to avoid doing work or am I and am I avoid am I ba basically buying this as a form of procrastination because it's easier to feel like I'm doing something really useful for my business by learning a bit more when actually I know what I should be doing I should be getting the hell on with it so just ask yourself that are you looking to avoid the hard stuff so it's really important thumbs up if that makes sense I hope that uh, that that's uh, um, not too pointed uh, a view but I think I think it makes a lot of sense to believe in that um, uh, makes it makes sense hopefully uh, for everyone watching um, let me know if you've bought a course in the past pop it in the comments put what course have you bought that's been really useful uh, and that's worth sharing here you never know who's watching who might really win uh, or benefit from that let's go on to the next question Antonio Olombrada who I met uh, in Milan in October, amazing guy. Nice to meet you. I, I, we met um, in a in a in a, in a like a, a party after Digital Design Days event, and uh, everyone was face painting uh, in uh, uh, with like night lights. It was like glow in the dark kind of paint, kind of weird. Um, and uh, we were trying to talk about work. I remember we were shouting in each other's ears over the DJ, uh, but it was good. We've been in connection still. So awesome, Richard. Good to see you uh, uh, doing this. Can you also touch on the topic of selling high ticket services online? It is easy to sell a product, but when you work with three to six month projects, there's not a clear recipe or instructions to follow and each client is different. For example, in my case with industrial design, graphic design and strategies, thanks a lot. Smiley winky face. Um, I think I think it, it can be easy to do a sell in general, but I think what what really matters was simple rather to do that. But what really matters with the longer projects is that you understand that what's crucial here is is buyers are always looking for the magic. They're always looking for the solution. What they're looking to buy isn't your process and all of the the decisions that have to be made along the road and how you do it, what they're looking for is but something very, very simple actually, which is the completion. They're looking for the outcome. In fact, they're buying the outcome of it being done. And the greater a level of convenience you can offer, in the sense that the, 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 the least amount of thinking on their part and the most amount of return for them on your part is really what's exciting. And the way this shows is when you're doing the sales process itself, when you're onboarding them, especially with the higher ticket products, the thing they will want to feel, and this is empathy on the part of the other side of the table, Antonio, These are this is from the perspective of the buyer. What they want is a sense of, if I buy from this guy, if I invest in Antonio, then I wanna have a sense that he's got this. So this is where we start asking these questions of ourselves like, Am I giving too many options? Am I asking um, for advice and permission on things where I'm meant to be the expert? So the way it should work is you're positioned as the expert, you're the one who gives them the results. And what they do, aside from pay you for such a service, is that they are the ones who give you the IP. They give you the information you need along the way. So they're the ones who give you the, the pointers in terms of the kind of look they'd like or some ideas they have. But the truth is you're the expert and you're being paid to give them the solution. This goes for any kind of coaching or any kind of service in my opinion. A buyer is always looking for you to take the lead in fact as the person who gives them the solution as opposed to the problem is with too many consultants um, think that a consultant is a butler and it's not a consultant is the person who knows the answer you're the solution provider so a consultant will ask the right questions but then they won't say would you like to do this would you like to do that is it okay if we maybe do this and, and I'm here for you to do whatever you want it should be here's what you need 
and here's how we're going to do it and I will take the lead. However, I need your knowledge here and your help with this, that and the other. Okay, so and what it is, is when, when you're saying that, it's I need your help with input on this thing. I need to understand your customers well. I need to understand your vibe, your history, your story, the reason why you do certain things. But I'm the one that calls the shots on the process because this is my world doing this project. I'm the expert on it. So as long as you position as the expert, because you are, and you deliver and lead as such, the only thing they really need to hear is you're going to get results. I need you here and there to provide a bit of input, but otherwise I've got this. If you leave a buyer worrying or hesitating that you might need them to make decisions and lead somewhat, then that makes them worried and that devalues that your proposition. That's why some people can never charge higher ticket because they don't position themselves as the person who's going to solve the problem. They're, they're positioning themselves as someone who's going to help no, you know, work alongside them with the problem, which is not entirely the same thing. So hopefully that makes sense, Antonio. And that's, that's my view of things. Thanks everyone. I'm just going to do a few shout outs now. Thank you everyone for jumping in here uh, on uh, LinkedIn, Instagram and Facebook today. This is Startup Business Q&A week 192. We're eight weeks to go. Two months time. I doubt I'll be out of the house by then. Two months time will be 200 weeks of this, which is getting on for four years. What will it be? It'll be episode 208 will be four years uh, of this. So wow, we're getting there. And um, so this week is on myth busting on online selling and working from home. Mr. Thompson 94 on Instagram, nice to see you here. The Victory Coach, Favs Musically Vida, Michelle T. Holland, or Michelle Holland, I think. Dicky Q underscore Dicky Q. Uh, Nivash Ajadin is here as well. Um, also, Casey Lane Milhouse just jumped in from Singapore, I believe. Hope you're okay over there on Facebook. Nice to see you here. Uh, Antonio also on um, LinkedIn, so I hope that answer helped you. Mark, full stop. Uh, anyway, peace out. The king was here, lulls. Just kidding. Okay, good. Thanks. Thanks for that. I'll read the other comments earlier uh, that you sent in. Victor Hawkesitas, I purchased a program on how to strengthen hashtag growth marketing competencies. I strongly recommend trying uh, scrab, S-C-R-A-B dot I-N and find that lead.com to automate lead generation. Click here to get a 10% discount. Nice, nice affiliate work. Uh, well, look, I, I, uh, we've worked together, Victor. So if you have something legit, I'm sure that's worth checking out. Amor Cheeto, nice to see you here. Justin Dunwoody. Uh, I bought James Wedmore's BBD course. Sensational, so incredibly useful. Excellent stuff. Um, Wendy Gulhiller, uh, Anna Sabino for podcast interviews and coaching. I presume you're, you're shouting her out. Uh, Al Darnell Jr., good to see you here as well. Brother Richard, these are such great points. Taking courses alone won't make you money. And buying a course due to hype rather than due diligence is a huge culprit of waste. The more we waste our time and resources, the less we move forward. Great content, sir. Thanks so much. Next question, Wendy Gulhiller, Gulhiller, because you're watching right now. Uh, on LinkedIn. Do you think selling via Zoom or online will continue beyond COVID-19? Do you think there'll be less traveling for sales? Well, you know, it just depends. And it depends on the kind of um, the person themselves. It, it's like saying, uh, it's like this, that there's that curve, you know, um, uh, crossing the chasm, Jeffrey Moore's book. Uh, if there's enough early adopters to something and it makes the jump crossing the chasm to the early masses, then you actually end up with it taking and it being the thing. Will the world suddenly be doing everything remote from home and online after uh, we all emerge from our houses? Hell no, it won't be the case. Because even for those who love it the most, and I'm full in on working online and things like that, nothing beats face to face and it is a better meeting that you meet when you meet someone face to face than when you do it online. It is more efficient online for sure, but it is more effective face to face. And for the more important, larger sales, I would always rather meet the person face to face. I've flown to other countries to close deals face to face because they meant enough to me. So I really often, um, I feel that's the case. Some businesses will go, wow, we didn't realize how well we could get on with it and look at the money we're saving, let's continue as we were. Other businesses, and again, it depends on the people making these decisions. Some are old school, 
in industry, some are old school in their personal view, and so they'll revert. Um, but I think the truth is a lot more people, because they are forced to try it, will use video. And I think that it's not game-changing in the sense that everyone will start doing it, but it is. it was game-changing that we have the facility. But, you know, 10 years ago, I was doing video calls in a business. It was an amazing company, a great headhunting business I worked with. Um, and they, we always did a business call uh, and working with, when working with candidates and with clients, we always did it um, by video call because you got a, mil, a real sense of the person. And um, that was 10 years ago. And it's like, it felt ahead of its time then, but it's crazy that even now it feels ahead of its time. It's just not, it shouldn't be. Um, and it's absurd to use the phone or email when you can use video. And the only real reason why people don't use video as much is because they're scared. That's it. That's all it is, is because they're scared. Because they think, well, they might see me, you know, and I'm not wearing a tie and, and ridiculous questions, things like that. And the truth is, it makes no difference at all. If you're valuable enough, people respect you and want to listen to you. And you don't have to wear a tie in order for that to be the case. Um, you know, you have to have a bit of gravitas and actually say something that's useful and people respect that. So I think that, that doing video is going to become more prevalent, but I don't think it will completely, will, will completely switch over. D will there be less traveling for sales? I think even once we've emerged from our lockdowns, there'll be reticence or worry or concern about doing it. Someone will be like, let me at it. I need to get out of here and fly over and meet people and like solidify relationships. But then there'll be other people who are like, actually, it's made me realize that I don't need to travel quite as much as I did. I, I've only traveled, um, in the, look at the last couple of years, I only travel when I really need to. And sometimes with my events, I was like, I need to be on the ground to drive this through and make sure it's successful. With some clients, I need to go and meet them to make sure it's successful. Um, because you just get those extra nuances that can't be avoided. Um, uh, that can't, you know, you just can't miss, you have to have them. Uh, and that works best uh, uh, face to face. So I think, I think there'll be more of it. I don't think the world's going to change that much, to be honest. Um, but it's exciting because the truth is, for many that can work remotely, if they do well enough, it will, it will make the point, you know what, we can work remotely. And, and I'm certain, because I've seen it happen before, there'll be teams out there where a couple of people really perform and drive home the point that we actually could work from home. And then the question gets asked, well, like, why can't why don't I work from home then because I quite like to do that and come in twice a week and and maybe the the focus are won't be on moving completely remotely or working from home but probably a lot more businesses will say do you know what it's going to be okay to move between office and home a bit more because actually it's been demonstrated that we can survive this way and in fact do well and I think that might be an interesting conversation that businesses start having because people actually uh, uh, find there's a bit more variety and a bit more balance to their lives. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Um, Christina Chalk on Instagram here is, uh, nice to see you here, thanks for watching. Uh, definitely love a face-to-face -face meeting. I've used video more, but it's great to see prospects more open to it. This is the point. Video is a, when you're selling, video is brilliant because you get so much more from the client. When you're buying, you tend to not want to use it that much. And I think I think it's, it's less likely that a buyer would be interested in doing it, especially in more traditional industries. But because of the climate, you can offer, you can suggest it, and people are like, okay, because there are new, there's, it's like the Wild West now. There, there are new rules being forged every day. And so I suggest, or I, let me rephrase, I dare you to try video calls with your clients or prospects. Um, and people will probably be like, okay, then let's try it out because this is a new world, it seems. And you'll win so much because you get so many more cues from them. There's a reason why I'm not doing this as audio, um, I'm, apart from if you're listening on the podcast. The reason I'm doing it video is because you get more of a sense of what I'm like and the engagement will be better. And I think that that's, that's certainly the case. But more prospects being open to it because they kind of have to means it will become probably culturally more of a thing. So I have to see. Uh, over on Facebook, Mirav has uh, added, I think people are scared of the constant eye contact on Zoom calls, but I've come to really appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, I think some people are scared of the, um, of the eye contact. Um, 
But look, that's what you've got screen share for, right? You can always switch over to put something else, uh, or you can look at yourself, which if, if you want, unless the eye contact with yourself is the thing you are the most scared of. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Mirab, I think you asked a question, actually, so let's get into your one. I currently don't have a website in place. Will that hold me back from looking legit? No, unless you deserve for it to hold you back from looking legit. People use petty things like that as uh, an excuse to not work for, for, with you if um, you're not showing up as, as serious and legit enough. When I first, first started like selling properly online consulting that I was doing um, in 2015, I had a Facebook account, a Zoom account. This is becoming like this story I keep telling every week. Facebook, a Zoom and a PayPal account. That was it. All three are free. I had no website because I think the thing is that if accessibility to you is convenient enough, then a website is almost counterintuitive. If I appear to be producing, uh, appear to be online on, on say Facebook or LinkedIn enough as a vendor of a service, if I, if I appear to be approachable and if I appear to be available, as in I'm regularly in the comments, I appear to be present. You know there's people who don't post any content, there's just a profile, they don't feel present. They don't have a picture. And then there's those who are fully, you know, fully jacked up with the whole profile. They have content each day and they're showing up in the contents too. They feel present on that platform. And when you send them a message on a DM, then they're present and they respond. That sense of them being active and present on the on the on the platform means if the content and the social platform is the access point to the vendor, then going to a website sometimes is counterintuitive. Like, why would they want to? Because if they can just send you a message and you respond, you get into a dialogue which pivots to a phone call. At what point is a website necessary? And I would be stunned if most of my uh, clients used my website to close me, uh, to, to, to kind of decide to work with me. I feel it's more likely that they, um, well, in fact, I know because I asked them, they, they find me through content, they like the content and stick around. Then we get into a conversation, then we get onto a phone call, then they decide to buy something. And, and I feel that that process is slick, it's organic and it just works. Um, and so you don't need a website to be legit. What you do need to be legit is to be legit. So be a practitioner. If you are selling a service, show you do the service really well. Um, and if you are, um, uh, yeah, if, if you if you have an online presence instead of a website, then do make sure that it's it's signposting enough how people can get hold of you. So for instance, if I'm gonna do business through LinkedIn to start with, and I don't have a website, my profile certainly should have some information on how to reach out to me. Because otherwise they hit this brick wall, it's like, great, I like your stuff, but how do I get in touch? There's no website, there's nothing. So give them some form of, of way to contact you. Um, when should you get a website? So get the website when you get the ball rolling. You know, if you, if you started the process of getting some sales or pre-sales, well then the website makes sense. Kind of just depends on what you're selling. If I'm selling an app or a Chrome extension off a website, well, it makes sense to have one. If I'm selling coaching services, you, you don't have to have a website. Um, you can sell it directly because the, the way you sell isn't because a website is good. The way you sell is because someone believes in you and, and feels comfortable buying from you and trusts you. And, and, that's, and that, that, that's the crucial part. Um, get a website. But just like buying a course earlier, don't let building a website be an excuse for you waiting to engage with people and start the process of selling. That's, that's just ridiculous because you can get on with it. You can at the very least warm people up, but I think a, a, a website or a polished logo or, or, you know, making your nice supporting Instagram account is all superfluous to getting on with engaging with people. Mirab's added a question, a line here. So, so then when should a business focus on putting that in place? You do it as soon as you can. What I'm suggesting, I suppose, the point I'm really making is you, don't, you shouldn't put so much stock in a website unless the way in which you will be selling your product is through that website. So for instance, as a direct example, my courses required my website to exist 
because I'm hosting my courses on my website, okay? So I needed them to exist, uh, needed it to exist. My consulting didn't need a website. I built a website after a while because I started making some money off it and then I was like, okay, I'll, I'll get someone to build a website. Um, but really the website was built to, ho built to host courses. So where is it a necessity to then do it? But the truth is you, you actually, you, you need to be nice and lean and get on with the process. Close some things, get the ball rolling, get some, get some market feedback that you've got the service they're after by them buying it and then sure get a website. But it is not a reason to impede your action on the pitch unless specifically the product in its MVP form, minimum viable product form, cannot exist without a website, well then fine. But for most, websites just a cute add-on. I don't care, I know it's wrong, but I don't care that much about the website because my organic on Facebook and LinkedIn and that is, is good enough and I, I, I interface with people directly there because again, if I'm, if I'm coming across as active and present, it means I'm, and I'm approachable, it means that I've, I'm providing far more convenience for people finding me on LinkedIn to just send me a direct message and contact me that way. And most people do that. The number of people who send me a message each week on LinkedIn asking me to speak to them about buying something, as opposed to those that come to my website, and of course you could argue this is because of user journey or whatever, is, is far higher on LinkedIn um, than on the website, because why would someone bother going onto the website when they feel sold enough on me just to send a DM anyway? So that, that's the thing, if you're present, approachable, and it's convenient enough to just send you a message and people will prefer that. Hopefully that answers your question, Mirav. So I'm not saying you don't do a website, ask when you really need it, and go build it. It's, it's kind of necessary, but it's not ever a thing to, to be used as a reason to stop you getting on with, with the action of, of it warming up and trying to sell your audience, okay? Let's hop over to LinkedIn, see what they have to say here. Uh, Brian Roy, hi friend, says Wendy. Uh, Brian Roy says, hi Wendy. Uh, <laughs> Um, Rianne Brutz, uh, what's the best way to use Facebook for interviews with at least split screen ability? So uh, I, think it's, I think it's a good idea to do, uh, if, you, if you're talking about live interviews, you can just do it by adding someone. So you go live, you add someone there. Um, in terms of video though, I, I, I quite like the recorded ones. I've never interviewed anyone. It's like a lot of people say like, you do these interviews, right? I don't interview people, we just hang out and I record a bit and then I post it. In my opinion, I like doing it through Zoom. The quality's not great, but who cares? It's on mobile anyway. So I do it on Zoom and it's side by side. So we have a nice kind of view side by side, record that and post it. And um, it's a really nice way of having two people together on a screen so people can enjoy it. Um, but uh, the best way to use Facebook for interviews with split screen ability is, is literally go live and then invite them and they, they, they go, uh, they, they, you share that they can join you and then, then you just do it side by side on the screen. I think you can only do it through mobile though, Rianne, so you have to be aware of that. I did one recently and it was on desktop and you can't actually, I don't think the facility is there, so you have to be on mobile in order to do it. Uh, let's get into uh, another, a couple of points here. So Helen Renovic, thank you Richard for all the insights. David Moore, strong surname there David, well done. Um, face to face is much, uh, more important in Asia anyway, so video won't be able to replace that. Yeah, I think it's interesting, the older the person, in the main, the less they wanna do video, uh, the more they wanna meet face to face. Um, that's what I've found by doing this for, for many years. Um, and yes, yeah, certain regions prefer it uh, more than others. So it, it is kind of um, regional as well, but in the main, you can't be face to face. You will never beat it, simple as that. And let's go on to another question, Devon Scott. Richard, do I need to buy an expensive funnel? With no context to this answer, and I know, and I know that question was very much just like, this is something people should talk about. Um, with no context, then it's impossible to know. Because if you have a very expensive product, or if you have a very complex product, then the funnel maybe does need to be quite a complex one. Um, it may be that you need quite the opposite. Again, back to that first question that I answered. Ask yourself, when, you're, when the proposition arrives for you to buy a funnel or a funnel making service, am I being sold on the hype? Or am I actually being sold on the product I need here? It's really important to have that dialogue with yourself so you're not buying hype. And, you know, and 
falling uh, falling for the things that the you know, emotional triggers and things like that. Okay, it's very important. So don't impulse buy something because it feels or looks good. Uh, overlook the marketing. Look at the, what you actually get from it. And it, funnels don't have to be expensive at all. Funnels can actually be very organic as well. They don't have to be using click funnels or anything like that or using some high-end software or, or service you actually can make one very simple and a funnel could actually be content which drives people to um, your dms which drives people to a phone call which drives people onto sales and that's literally what i did to begin with uh, five six years ago um, or it could be more complex you could get opt-ins then of course you can go to email autoresponders and things like that um, it's a very difficult question to answer with it without, um, without context. Um, typically, I doubt it. I doubt you need an expensive one. The thing that funnels tend to cost the most in is not money, but in your time, uh, because you need to put enough out there at the top in order to get a multitude of people coming in the top of the funnel. The concept of funnel really simply is to have a mass of people coming into orbit around you and being aware of you at the top, maybe buying something or interacting with something. I, usually it's content typically, some free value basically. And then they work their way down. A few of those, it's a funnel shape because less, of pe less people go to each stage. Those that like a funnel, sorry, those that respond to the funnel favorably, there will be less of them that originally went in. Um, they might buy something small from you then, or they might buy some, take some time with you or have a, DA, a direct message conversation. And that in fact is them going into your funnel. That's them spending time uh, transacting in terms of engagement in a conversation. Then a fewer still will maybe then buy something bigger Then one or two may buy something you're very much your back end products is how it can, can typically work. So the idea is to have as many reasons as possible for them to get into the funnel, which is why it's intelligent to work on multiple platforms it's intelligent to have m multiple magnets as they're known so an ebook might be a nice idea because occasionally someone reads it but that's in the same way as saying being on my space is a good idea because some people are on my but my space still the truth is you should have something that's going to work a bit more effectively so uh like like last week giving a free course away of course it was part of my funnel but it was also to try and help people out and some people might be like and have, or in fact already have gone that's really great oh look he's got other courses i'll buy that too so that's a nice byproduct of it but in the main you want as many reasons as possible for pets people to spend uh, time around you so do you need to buy an expensive funnel typically no is what i've seen um but if you have the capital to get someone who really understands it to build out the whole process then it can it can make you unstoppable because almost any action that someone takes when they come into a funnel even showing a lack of interest uh they can be targeted with certain things uh to kind of pump them up and get them interested in as well and you can put the different responses of people in your funnel into different buckets and then treat them different ways is really a wonderful way of doing it and if you get a real pro it can make a big big difference to your sales i've really found that uh, so good question uh, daniel adam willis has asked do we need to make allowances for life to interrupt when working uh when selling online yes you really do especially now uh you've got to make allowances for life to interrupt um i plan religiously what my day will look like i plan it in chunks i actually used to plan morning then have uh, my lunch then plan my afternoon i now plan in four segments so i plan half the morning because i really am tight on it then i plan the second half of the morning i have lunch then i plan the, the afternoon and then the second half of the afternoon so i really break it down and plan in meticulously what i'm going to do um but i always build in time uh, building some tasks that are important and some tasks that aren't as important in case I need to drop the ball because something's happened. And it's, it's never been more the case than now. You know, I've got two children at home not going to school. My marvellous wife is doing a bit of homeschooling here and there as well and generally, you know, looking after them whilst I'm working. But still, stuff often happens. And, and the truth is I want to be interrupted a bit by them because it's really pleasant. I really enjoy that. And I'm building in... But well, as much as possible, what I'm trying to do, if, if I can be practical in that uh, instance, Daniel, um, is I'm scheduling time in my day, as important as a business meal, meeting or a sale or doing this live stream, to go and spend time with the children because it means they're less likely to come and seek me out because I've done, spent some time with them. But I make allowances for life to interrupt. Build in some time in your day 
where there's there's tasks that if you don't get around to do them, it's okay. You can absorb that time with the interruption and the main things can still get done. So the ability to adapt and be flexible is important. Don't get an upset if you if life gets in the way a bit because plenty of it's happening and, and right now a lot of people's lives have you know well coronavirus has got in the way of their businesses. So you have to work uh, work with it without without question. But but to be balanced, you must make allowances for life to to uh, interrupt you, but you don't don't let it be an excuse. Okay, don't let it be an excuse for you to drop the ball and not work. Okay, um, it's very easy to go, well, you know, that thing came up, so I couldn't get on with that work. And you have that chat with yourself. I needed to get on and do some sales today. But actually, you know what? I was interrupted by this, that or the other. Or, you know, the virus has really been getting me down a bit. And so I'm not going to bother. And it's an excuse to avoid the hard stuff. Just keep a, keep an eye on yourself. I think this is something that's a trap that we can easily fall into is thinking that actually, it's, it's really easy to, um, to, to just use uh, interruptions as, as a reason to, to ignore, ignore getting on with our work. So it's, good, it's a good question. Uh, let's do a couple more before we finish. I uh, hope you're enjoying this so far. We've got 10 minutes to go before I finish. Uh, thank you very much, everyone who's watching over on uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Let's do one more question. Um, Bob Lowe, you've said, uh, what are the tools used to manage teams uh, remotely? So... I think without question, the best tool to manage your team is a video chat related tool. I think it's insane to not do this. Email, when you're not seeing each other, is terrible. It's a bad idea to manage your teams each day. You know, you've got to have, give them some time, some FaceTime, um, uh, and even a, a phone call. What are you doing? Get on a video call. It's a really good way of keeping a bond going. Um, I was speaking to a managing director this morning who's just got a, it's a great idea. One of the teams, uh, the, the manager, every Friday afternoon does a DJ set. How cool is that? It does a DJ set and, uh, and everyone can tune in and listen whilst they're finishing up their work at the end of the week. Like Stuff like that is a fantastic tool uh, to keep and manage, uh, and manage the team and keep them buoyed uh, um, in a time where actually it can be quite lonely. But more practical, uh, I would say, is looking at things like Basecamp, Look at things like Slack. Look at Trello. Trello was my favorite always. Uh, it's kind of similar to Basecamp, but it just felt, Basecamp felt really clunky. Trello was quite slick and you can all be involved in it at the same time. So I really liked it. I think it's worth doing, but I, I don't think it's, there's few things that can impede or, or, or that can supersede rather um, uh, working directly through video uh, in terms of engaging people and setting objectives or goals together and having that meeting that feels like you're one-on-one. -on -one. And there are some, there's a company I worked with in the past where they didn't have a central office. They all were field-based. They were working from home anyway or out in the field. And they would do this each, each morning. They would get together on a video call. They would go around each person. They'd check in, see how they're doing. And then they talk about their goals and objectives. I think that actually you, you can overthink it you can have these hyper complex products but something as simple as that really works well so that that's what my suggestion would be um as a really good question I, I even would go as far as saying google docs it's just a marvelous way of managing a team because you have a folder for each thing you can all use it real time uh and it feels just a bit more robust than something like trello i just you know i feel like it interfaces with my other software uh, and other other um, uh, websites I use are far more, far easier. So um, that's something worth thinking about. If you're watching this right now, what software or tools have you used for team management? What's worked for you? Definitely put them in the comments. That would help those who are watching at this moment. And what I'm also interested in, if you can put in the comments, those of you watching right now or listening on the podcast, what topic would you like for next week? There's been a few being uh, floating around and asked ask of me. For, for week 193 next week, what topic would you like to be covered? We did uh, selling remotely. We've been working from home. We're looking at, we're doing a bit of myth busting this week as well, although some of the questions are just generally on working from home. What would you like us to cover next week uh, with your questions as well? In the meantime, thank you so much for those of you who are, have joined in. Marvellous to see you all here on, um, on Facebook. So I'll catch you all later.